We would like to dedicate this episode of Turn on Earth to the memory of Fritz Schult from Pulla Thomas in Eris County, Mayo. Fritz, who passed away last month, was a long-time campaigner with Shell to Sea against the gas refinery and experimental pipeline built there by Shell. Now, we didn't know him personally, but one bit of wisdom he has left with us is this. Question the authority of the authorities. We hope this podcast is in keeping with the spirit of that statement and that we can honour the tradition of resistance and consciousness that Fritz contributed to in his lifetime. Rest in peace. Garda College is the National Centre for Garda Training, Development and Education. It is a modern training facility located on eight acres in Templemore, County Tipperary. College hours are Monday to Friday from 9 to 5 p.m. Most of us live here on campus as there are over 400 rooms in six separate blocks. One of the first things we learn here in training is the importance of high standards, especially in respect of our uniform and keeping it well presented at all times. And then that appalling incident occurred where we had members of Angarda Shiakana in Balaclava stealing with the citizens. And now I know that based on the way our law is and our constitution is, the owner of that site had a right to go and to the The taser has two options. You have options. Which basically, when deployed, deployed for two probes which are connected by wires to the main, let's say the main fire engine, just then fires 50,000 volts. Ladies and gentlemen, um, I have to say, just I'm immensely proud and um, excited and privileged I feel now to be Commissioner of Angara. Good evening and welcome to the program, Turning Earth. Uh, and this episode is going to be mainly, mainly about, about police, about, the cops, about our good friends, They're good boys, aren't they, Tommy? Oh no, wait, good, no, they're not. No, they're fine stand-up country bios, just like us. Yeah, book, book, book. They are kind, and I won't have a bad word said against them. <laughs> That's not really what we think. I think we're going to uh, say that much, are we? Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, you know, <laughs> we're not. We don't actually like the guards. Okay. So Sorry to break character. Is that the line we're going with? Okay, because it sounds, sounds yeah. Um, also going to talk about some other things but that's going to be the main theme I think of this particular podcast that'll be the mate and spuds of what we're talking about alright um, but before we get on to the, the main theme we should read like, it'd be weird to have an environmental podcast coming out at this time and not discuss the uh, in, some developments the, the report that came out recently by the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change the UN um, it was a good report I mean it was an awful report but it was a good report in the sense that it seems to have kicked some people into into wanting some action or you know this yeah. is now serious yeah. we have 12 years apparently to keep our cell, to keep the increase in temperature of the globe yeah. within 1.5 degrees centigrade above yeah. 
pre-industrial levels. Pre-industrial levels. Now we're already one degree above pre-industrial levels. So yeah, it's already so like pre-industrial meaning before the industrial revolution. So like the 16th, 17th century, before factories really became a thing, and before we started burning loads of fossil fuels. Uh, we've already warmed the earth one degree more. That doesn't sound like a lot, but in terms of like the but mean temperature of the earth, <laughs> the effect that that has on weather systems, on climate all over the world is just... Which we're already seeing. We're seeing that, yeah. You're seeing um, it all the time. So in other words, we have, we have, as it says, this is something we need to clear up actually. It's, people keep, it's great that this report came out because there's people in the mainstream media and in my own, my personal life talking about it who've never talked about it before. People are coming up to me going, oh, we've 12 years to, to sort this shit out. What's the, like, It's given a joke to a lot do? of people, hasn't it? But the thing is, the information in it, I don't think, wasn't really that new. It was just stated a lot more severely and a lot more matter-of-factly. Yeah, and it was um, more effective. It was, I think what you were saying to me when we were talking about it the first time around was that, you know, it was before the language was very dry and it was very kind of, you know, it, it, the way... It's a, too reserved, basically, holding back, kind of, yeah. not, not wanting people to panic, but... There's a reason why you had to use language that was a bit more severe. I think also the, the, the 12 years thing helped a lot. Yeah, because it was like never before they said, okay, this is you know, no one had kind of spelled it out like, and I think it was good to like you know as in so far as is you know achievable or practical or whatever or but it just it just by putting to putting the date there it has a psychological effect too. Yeah, you know, and it's, just, by the way, I forgot to mention twelve years. They think the the carbon emissions and overall emissions has decreased by at least forty percent. I think it was on yeah, the current emissions yeah. level. Put it this way: we're 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 on route to three point four degrees of warming by twenty thirty. If we keep expanding at the rate we're expanding in terms of our carbon output, we're going to be not 1.5 degrees, but 3.4 degrees warmer. That's, that's not going to, that's too much. <laughs> that's, that's not going to work. We can't allow that to happen. Um, I don't think there's going to be, yeah. But no. just, that, just to put that 12 years thing in perspective, if we wait four years before any changes are made, then we won't have eight years. It's not 12 minus four equals eight. If no. we continue on this trajectory in four years time, we live a lot less time. Yeah, yeah. Because so that's really important to understand. Yeah, the calculation yeah. is not linear. It would become then like, uh, it would give us, yeah, less time again. Yeah, yeah. we would if have we, like, If we change nothing. Um, but it's important, I think, to come, to not come away from this going, oh, well, then there's no point in doing that. Because pe- people, people see it as such a huge transformation that's required that we it, it's impossible. So we may as well just, there's no point even thinking about it. Block but, it out, yeah. But even, and this is going to sound kind of defeatist, but even any little change that's made now, any change that's made, will make it slightly less shit for slightly longer. So it's worth trying everything. It's worth trying everything at our disposal to, to make Absolutely, this happen. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Um, but the thing is, you know, it can be achieved. Here's the thing. Here's the good news, folks. It absolutely can be achieved. It is not really a technical question, right? We use science to get to the point of saying... But science is telling us... I mean, the conclusion that you naturally come to, or that I naturally come to, is that it's a political issue. It's about politics, really, at the Mm. heart of it. Because there's no technical reason that you cannot achieve that 40% within 12 years and even start immediately in everything. The correct decisions in policy need to be made. It's as simple as that, you know? And there are lots of, like, specific examples of that. But if that's not the problem, not knowing what that is. It's just that, like, the state does not have the... The political will isn't there to do it amongst the... Because, they, you know, business has to go on as it is. We need to keep selling fossil fuels. We need to keep taking stuff out of the ground. The economy mm. is... You know, 
the economy is there's no, going to be no economy left when there's no earth upon which we can like live you know what I mean yeah. like seriously so like that is the, the markets logic won't when, matter when the ground the markets are built on is yeah. is crumbling because of soil erosion you, you know or, when there's no food left to, when there's no food left to eat and stuff you're not going to be you know it's 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 the wrong way to look at things you know and having a good economy and ways to improve the economy can all, all be, always be a part of that you know so I don't want to go off on too much of a tangent but in any case you know so let's not stress about let's just get make politics happen. Do you know what I mean? We can that can be done. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because the, the the way the way the state are handling it right now is incredibly dangerous. Not just because they're not doing enough, but because the stuff they are doing is not only ineffective ineffective half measures. It's actually alienating people from from the cause from the it, it's tying climate change to economic hardship. The, yes. the, the way they're treating it is, is in my mind similar to how they I was saying this to you earlier similar to how they dealt with the banking crisis which was they, they took a crisis caused by the risks of a few and they generalised the costs of it amongst the population made the yeah. population pay for risks that a small amount of people took um, and I'll explain that in a minute but like the, 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 the things they are doing to, to deal with it are like the things they're talking about are carbon tax like a general carbon tax or they recently announced that Bordenamona, there's going to be 430 job losses from Bordenamona peat plants in the Midlands. Yeah. And that's fucking scandalous. We, like, we, we need to stop burning peat for, for energy, no doubt about it. We need to do that. Quickly, yeah. But that, dealing with that by going, right, 430 people, you just need to get rid of them. What, Make them redundant and, that, yeah. Like they, they, what should happen there, it seems like a fairly straightforward solution, is while they're on the job, train them to work in the renewable sector while they're on the job. Yeah, train them to to transfer their skills to another aspect of the energy sector, and then they can actually walk from that job into another job in the growing renewable sector instead of just going right. No, fuck it, you're out in your arse now. Yeah, absolutely. Why is, why isn't that happening? What's the and story in any that? kind of example of anything that's positive, if there's somebody you want to, we talked before about farmers being used to be like. I know it's a completely different thing, but like farmers being used to, to um, keep forests in good can be kind of like forest keepers or whatever the yeah, correct yeah. term for that or is. I know there's a better term for that, but you understand what I'm trying to get at and trying to mm. recreate new wild forests and everything, and like you know taking care of ours. Why can't people be like, well, you can mm. go into this other state, even though it's something completely different? I'm just thinking of like a, a token almost kind of example, but the point is that like you can be creative with that. But and of course. But here's the thing: Bordenamona is still, even if it's a semi-state body or whatever, it's mm. still um, run like a business. They run to make money, so as much as possible. So they're selling peat to make money. So doing, what we're talking about you can only do that if you take away the profit motive, and then it becomes more about stewardship and guardianship. Do you know what I mean? Like instead mm. of you know just make as much money as possible in overheads, and that's the calculation. That's the you know? problem. Yeah, instead of turn turn the profit motivation needs to be challenged and dismantled, or that. That's the problem, yeah. Instead of turning Bordenamona into, like you were saying, a body that does what they're supposed to do, which is mine the bogs, which are carbon sinks, by the way, so they're incredibly valuable to us as a society, not just as nice places, but like in terms of actually taking carbon out of the atmosphere, the more bog land, the better, right? Yes. Um, yeah, so stewardship of bog land even, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, why can't that be? Why can't we Why can't we publicly fund that instead of like, instead of being about like the semi-state body making as much money for the government as possible, instead using general taxation for really kind of just clever, in my mind, ways of also employing people instead of making people redundant, you know? Like, yeah. create jobs, like, and fund them out of general taxation. Like, there's something that's... It's, it's just low-hanging fruit. There's no technical reason you can't do that. It's pretty straightforward to achieve. But the government doesn't want to employ people. 
Do you know what I mean? The government yeah. is trying to be, it's the, the right wing ideology of make government as small as possible and turn everything over to the private sector instead. Like, it's just nonsense. That's, that's central to the problem, actually, because like, instead of... Absolutely. Neoliberalism, which we've talked a lot about already. Talking about carbon taxes and stuff like that. And it's like, if you really want to tackle the problem of too much carbon from cars and stuff like that, have better public transport. People will not use their cars then. Exactly. Do you know what I mean? Um, you can even talk about that in the language of like economic, like... I would talk about it in different terms. We could talk about how good it is for the economy when you have a well-functioning public transport system and how much, you know, the health disbenefits of having bad air pollution is causes X amount of economic damage, even though I would talk about it in terms of health and other things. But yeah. you can talk about all these things through an economic lens and still make it make sense, it's, you know, yeah. which is kind of mad. But While you're on the subject of the, of the state response, um, just today I was reading yesterday at a conference... Leinster Petroleum Conference. I need to check the data. That I'll post the article about it on the Facebook page later. Um, Indeed, the a junior minister, I believe, publicly stated his support for offshore oil and gas drilling. Yes, did you see this? And said that the bill to stop oil on, offshore oil and gas drilling would do nothing to curb our emissions. Huh. He actually said that. Oh God, it's disgraceful. He said that and expects people to swallow that. Obvious bullshit. How does it? What's the logic? Is there logic to that? What are you saying? Because well, we still just be importing our oil and gas, and it's like, well, yeah, if you don't fucking invest in renewables and make the switch to renewables, it's like, still, it's still, it's still, it shouldn't be coming out of the ground in the first place. That's no, that's just, a complete non-argument. Yeah, it's a non-argument. Yeah. It needs to not come out of the ground in the first place. You know, that, that's something that actually, and it's yeah. not even straightforward in a general sense. Place that it's. Definitely don't t- start taking it out of the ground where you've already started doing that. Mm. It's going to be, we have enough work ahead of us in terms of replacing the sources where it's currently being gases and the likes and any fossil fuels being extracted yeah. already, you know, oil and the rest of it. You know, the entirety of Saudi Arabia. Yeah. <laughs> like, how do, you re- how do you replace the entire economy of Saudi Arabia? We've got enough problems without taking more oil and gas out of the ground. I don't care yeah. how much money it's going to make in the long term. Look at it through an economic lens. It's going to create X amount of trillion of euro of problems in the sense that we won't have a livable earth anymore in a couple of decades. Yeah. Okay? So you want to put that through an economic lens, there you go. It doesn't make yeah. economic sense to destroy the earth, and right? Don't do it. It'll become a stranded asset because it's going to become even more apparent than it already is in a few years that using fossil fuels is a dead end. It's going to kill us. Yeah. So... Um, it literally will be our dead end. Yeah. So... It's insulting to be told that, that like, this bill to stop fossil fuel extraction will not help our emissions, will not help lower our emissions. It's insulting to the intelligence of stupid. everybody else in the country to yeah. say that. You know, these people are going to continue. The elites and the government and the, the leaders of the corporate, you know, the heads of corporations, all the rest of it will continue to lie to us and tell us all this as we're trying to stop uh, 1.5 degrees happening or beyond 1.5 degrees happening. Yeah. And there will have to be very drastic policy changes. As I said, it's in the political mm. sphere, right? Yeah. Um, but they will not go quietly into that night, will they? They won't, no. <laughs> that that's that kind of leads us on to our main topic of the police, which is why why are we going to talk about the police today? Well, uh, all that we just said. Specifically, all though, of that, yeah, because like, as you're saying, the, the government aren't going to act on this. They, they obviously aren't. We can see the... the just like I suppose, I I, ho- I would hope that everything we've just said so far will illustrate that the government aren't acting on this issue and aren't taking it seriously, which means they need to be forced to act, yes, or they need to be removed if they are unwilling to act. And if if you try to do that in this country and in every other country I'm aware of, if you try to force the government's hand on an issue they're unwilling to move on, 
by building a mass movement, you're going to inevitably come into confrontation with the strong arm of the state, with the police force, in this ca- case with Ongar the Shiakane. And we've we've seen that ourselves in our own, you know, where we've been out, but we in for example in Shell Sea campaign in Mayo, in Rossport, but, but kind of, kind there are lots of examples before and after that. Um now recently what happened in particular that triggered this off for us kinda just at the moment it was um with the housing campaign about a month or so ago. Um when start of September, wasn't it? So, yes. Yeah. Um they when on Garda Shiakana with actually with private security guards and some van from like somewhere in the UK, by the way. Um, Manchester was from the van used to belong to the Manchester police yeah they evicted a, pl- a kind of a campaign uh, occupation of uh, a, a building on North Frederick Street and the, it was it was uh, being occupied in order to bring to highlight issues around the extremely severe housing crisis that we're now in, in the midst of in Ireland which is extremely severe and almost almost apocalyptic in a way I mean it, to me it's like society is just falling apart it's that bad you know yeah not well that's be, what is happening not to be too dramatic about it but anyway it's not been it's not falling apart it's just being dismantled yeah by a, a neoliberal government it's interesting because they did this you know in the city in broad daylight and they um it backfired quite badly on the guards because it was, it was a big furor about it and of course they deserve to be like it certainly was on the news that day and it was it was an issue for a couple of days like just in general you know yeah. okay it's faded since then but it actually like you know it actually backfired quite bad on the guards, at least in the short term and stuff. It, I did, in the yeah. sense that, like, in a PR sense and in terms of, like, at least, you know, it was it was actually good in a sense that, like, it got things out and to, mm. got a bit of um, a bit of awareness and a bit of debate about around these issues. It shocked ways. a lot of people. Yeah. But it didn't shock me too much. And that's of course not, partially no. why I wanted to talk about it here because it's not the first time that either of us have seen... Well, it's not the first time that a lot of people, to be honest, have seen guards acting like that. But it's not the first time that I've seen masked private security working in line with the police to protect private interest against public interest. There's a there's a question around what the guards are kind of purported to do and what they really do. What's what's their purpose and what's their stated purpose and their real purpose, you know? That's the question we want to ask here with this, isn't it really? Like what uh, why why do the guards exist? Why are they? Yeah. Um what are they there for? And I thought I was I was doing a bit of research into this last week. I'd say I wanted to learn about the history of the guards. Yeah. See how they came about. And it's they've a pretty interesting history. Um you could make the case, I think, pretty convincingly that they're they're basically a continuation of the, the British colonial police that existed before them. Two police forces under British rule. So you had the Dublin Metropolitan Police, that were obviously just in Dublin City. They were formed around the end of the the end of the eighteen no, the end of the seventeen hundreds, excuse me. And then the The Pale Police, if you will. Yeah, then the Royal Irish Constabulary, which were all over the country, they were established in the early eighteen hundreds. And um what's interesting about them, right, is they were formed around the time where there was there was resistance to police forces being formed in the UK from within the Parliament. Policing really? acts were being blocked in Parliament. Um, so historians argue that Ireland was kind of the, the proving ground uh, yeah. for, uh, the for, for policing. And uh, the models of policing used here and the models of oppression used here were then exported to colonies all over the British Empire. Um, but uh, and at one stage, I read this earlier, at one stage in the 1800s, there was three times as many police in Ireland as there was in England. And can, when you consider the size of the population of England versus the population of Ireland, <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's mental. Yeah. But, um, so yeah, this kind of policing kind of... Keep them all con- under control. The model of policing that uh, that develops kind of throughout the 1800s and the early uh, 19th, 1900s, the early 20th century, um, 
was fairly militaristic. You know, there was barracks all over the country with these squads of men in it who were they were they were mainly there to to hassle poor people and to hunt down Republican and nationalists, um, the Irish, Irish Republican Brotherhood and organisations like that. Um, That's a good context that existed, in sure. Yeah. Um, so there's there's plenty of things for them like the the. I mean, the country was just a hotbed of like a, a union activity and uh, agrarian revolt and nationalist struggle and all that kind of crack. So essentially, they were created in a political context to serve a political purpose, which was mainly going after Republicans. The IRB, which of course were the precursor to the IRA. But then um, what happened next is is, is pretty heartbreaking. Um, well, I mean, the, the story of Irish... The Irish Revolution, which led to the formation of the state, is a really heartbreaking one. It's it's one of uh, backstabbing and going back on principles and selling out principles. But and going into a civil war, which is always yeah. like, yeah, but difficult. Uh, <laughs> so when, when the Free State was formed after the well, like after the 1916 rising, uh, so the 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 treaty was signed after the War of Independence. Yeah. Um. The the treaty that essentially ended the the war against the independence war against the British. So without, yeah, without getting into that too much, the, the treaty uh, basically led to the formation of the Irish Free State, which is a, va- a vassal state to the, the British Empire. Um, it got it it cut off Northern Ireland, which what we now know as Northern Ireland, the six counties. It part- uh, in in enacted partition, yeah. yeah, and um, it led to a split in the revolutionary army of the in the revolutionary forces between anti-treaty and pro-treaty. Uh, the pro-treaty side obviously were the ones who set up the Free State. And it was it was under that government, a very conservative government under a common Nagail, W.T. Cosgrave was the teacher, I believe. Um, w. Uh, common Nagail went on to form Fine Gael when they merged with the the fascist blue shirts a few years later. But um, the the precursors to Angardashi Akana were set up during the Free State period. They were set up in the midst of the Civil War. They were originally called the Civil Guard. And what's really disturbing about them is. So the Dublin Metropolitan Police remained for a few years, but the the Civic Guard took the place of the RIC, the Royal Irish Constabulary, the British Colonial Police, right? They used pretty much all the same infrastructure and they used the same organisational structure, more or less. Uh, They recruited in private, exclusively recruiting pro-treaty people, obviously. And a lot of the officers were from the RIC. They were set up from the... The government established the Police Organisation Committee, which was made up of Dublin Metropolitan Police Officers and RIC officers, and that's what led to the formation of the Civic Guard. So you had this new state, yeah. this fledgling state, supposedly formed on a revolutionary basis. They were formed by people who would have fought in the in the Rising and in the War of Independence, who are now taking sides, basically working as, oh, we'll just, we're directly underneath the monarchy now, and we're just going to use Is the exact a- same infrastructure yeah. of this of the empire we were fighting. So uh, that's that's the free state for you. So they formed the Civic Guard. Um, so basically, like they just kind of just rebranded the RIC. It's kind of like what happened up north with the PSNI coming yeah. from out of the RUC. You know what I mean? It was yeah, like, yeah, yeah. okay, now we'll we'll be slightly less mean to Catholics, but they're basically the same fucking same thing, you know? Yeah. Um, but then the, the, the Civic Guard only lasted two years, and it was then rebranded as Angardish Diakana by Ono Duffy, the who was a big fan of Mussolini. Ono Duffy was a fascist. He was the leader of the Blue Shirts. Um. Rebranded to the guards and, and changed the name to the guards. And I, I, I heard it referred to as a rebranding because it, it, it really changed the image of them as well. There's a really telling line 
he says, we will recruit from the sons of the peasantry. And you know, that's where the the, the yeah. stereotype of the big culty guard comes from. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, because yeah. it is true, you know, it's like the guards, the guards, the GAA, the church. The guards and the church sort actually, of an institution in a sense, yeah. Yeah. Became, period. Especially, alongside the church became an institution that was, whose power was pretty much unquestioned until relatively recently. Um, yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, they were kind they of were guard, and they got their free this, that, and the other, and they were they're important and all that yeah. kind of thing. Untouchable, yeah. they kind of still are. Although that's starting to be questioned now, and they're they think really they are. They that. certainly think that. They think they should be. <laughs> yeah. I don't agree, but anyhow. But um, so yeah, just to get, just to wrap up the history of the formation of the Gardaí Yukana, uh, another thing that's remarkable about them compared to other police forces is that they were, again, until recently, generally unarmed. The special branch were set up around this time who were the armed kind of undercover Yeah, but they're special police. branch. And yeah. They've always had discretionary powers. They've always been able to pretty much act however they want and do whatever they want because they're like, they're, they're the main protectors of the state, kind of, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, the elite. Yeah, they like look after all the really scary stuff like Republican revolutionary activity and stuff like that, whatever. Um, <laughs> but other than that, most guards are generally unarmed and the reason for that is... Um, well, I mean, the stated reason, and I, th- I've seen this quote attributed to both Michael Staines, who was the first Garda commissioner, and Owen O'Duffy, so I'm not sure which one of them said it, but they said that the Garda will, um, they'll rule by their moral authority as servants of the people, not by force of arms, right? Moral so they said that, yeah. they said that's why they'll take the guns away from them. But you could argue that the real reason was not too long before that, there was a mutiny amongst the Garda, or amongst the Civic Guard, and they seized a stockpile of weapons. And the reason they were having the mutiny is because ex-RIC officers were being promoted above new recruits. Yeah, yeah, so the peasantry. The Garda, yeah, so basically, yeah, basically, yeah, the, the people who were used to be uh, pro-treaty IRA and are now in the guards weren't getting promoted, but the ex-RIC people, the ex-Royal Irish Constabulary, British Colonial Police were getting promoted above them. Yeah. So there was a mutiny. And then after that, they decide, okay, well, maybe we'll take the guns off the cops. Yeah, <laughs> Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, and they yeah, say it's because yeah. of moral authority. You know, it's because you didn't want you you didn't want the civil There's war to play. There's a specific historical again. reason for that that they just covered up or whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but even that's that's changed now. We've got the armed support unit. They were they were walking around. A mate of mine was working at a a festival over the summer, and the armed support unit were just patrolling it. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah. and, in, and they're not special branch. They're yeah, they're just like normal beat cops who have guns and maybe a few extra extra days training. You know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> but it's scary how they're trying to normalise that now. Another thing that happened recently, we were talking about the Take Back the City eviction. Yes. Around that time, there were at least two that I'm aware of evictions of, or attempted evictions of homeless couple and homeless family from emergency accommodation. And in both cases, armed guardies showed up to the eviction. And a friend of mine was at one of them and asked, what's the crack? Why, is there, why are you guys coming here with fucking submachine guns? And the response he got was, there's always armed guards at evictions. That's not true. <laughs> that's anyone who's been to an eviction over that's the last it. 10 years will know that that's not true. So they're trying to just pretend like this is the way things are done. Like, come on now. If they want to beat people up as they're evicting them, they've done that, I'm sure, and they would do that if they had to and they'll grab people and they have a ways of... That's complete nonsense, like. Yeah. No, it is. think we're people fucking stupid, like. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. Um, so I hope this is all making sense as establishing... A kind of a, shall we call it a narrative around the police and their real objectives rather than their stated objectives? They're presenting yeah. a convincing sta- a, a case so far. No? I hope so. I mean, like, because what 
what what are you raised to think the guards are for? Like I said, me and you wouldn't have had that much dealings with the guards when you were kids. Yeah, not in any serious way. Um, if someone robs your house, you call them right and stuff, and they always yeah. find, get your stuff back. Never happened in my case. No. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. well, how many cops came out uh, when your house got robbed? Like, do you see as many as as, as a as in a political policing event or an eviction yeah. as you did when your house got robbed or did whatever thing might have happened? Not in my case. I didn't, I didn't ever see it. Like the one kind of big interaction I would have had with the cops, or that I remember from when I was a small child. Uh, I think I was about ten. 10 or 11 at the time was um, the place I was living at the time some people uh, there were some our neighbours had some falling out with someone else and a bunch of lads showed up to their house and jumped and basically started kicking the shite out of the next door and a couple of them came into our house to hide out or whatever me and my dad called the cops and the people who'd been beaten up the people who had been like the neighbours yeah. hopped the wall and were like here can we can I come in here or whatever I remember coming down the stairs holding my sister and this poor fucker was sitting at the kitchen table in his jocks and my dad gave him one of his shirts because he was just sitting there shivering in his jocks right poor bastard it was the middle of the night like yeah it was the middle of the night Jesus. yeah I think I mean there was drink involved I'm pretty sure but anyway the, the hops were called but the whole situation died down and the boys fucked off and then about three or four hours later one guard shows up huh. so like that's that's ah, geez, that's, the horse is bolted, that's like. generally how they how they respond to things that they're supposed to be there for hello dear and welcome to Crime Busters hello now, and welcome to Crime Busters now, we have a lot on the agenda, lads, so we'll cut the chase and get straight down to the business. Uh, what's first on the agenda there, PJ? First on the agenda there, Tom, is a robbery. A robbery. Tom. A robbery. Now, we had a robbery, lads, only last week down the village. It was last Friday night. Uh, they came in through a side window at the house, approximately 3am. They proceeded to clean out the kitchen, the sitting room, and leave via the front door. Now, can you tell me what's wrong with that? The window was fucking wide open, lads. Just you can't do that. You can't go to bed and leave a window open or door open. We're blue in the face and tell you that when you lock up before you go to bed. That's right. You're only wasting our time and your time. And you come down to us then crying. Oh, spilt milk. Oh, spilt milk then, yeah. Where is it? Where, 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 where can I get my stuff back? Where have they gone? So how are we supposed to know? You just can't be doing that. You can't walk away and leave a house open and expect nothing to be done. You might as well open the front door and let him in. You might as well meet here for Exactly, good men. Now, no. so you got, you've been told enough, lads. Now you got your wall, so let that be it. We say no, 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 Standing around an eviction and protecting private security came as no that surprise to me. That did them in really badly. The mask thing, actually, forgot about that. Yeah. yeah, but it came as no surprise to me after remembering how they behaved in mail. No, of course, yeah. yeah. Like that was an interesting thing as well, though, because this kind of like when they when they did what they did in mail. Okay, uh, you know, the media could present any lie about it. RTE could lie through their teeth about what was happening or whatever, and they get away with it because it was down in the country in the middle of nowhere. Mm. So Whereas this happened in a city You know At least there was a little bit less of, I mean Okay The media can still present it The rest of the country Whatever way they want can Still present it The rest of the country Whatever way they want But um, Not quite as easy to With all the photos And stuff With the masks and stuff And mm. maybe social media Is kind of part of it too Actually Maybe it wasn't so much Of a social media landscape Back in 2006 I guess But uh, maybe it was starting To get that way But still In any case um you know, they really shot themselves in the foot in there. And I think, you know, a couple of days later, after the the eviction and stuff, when there was protests happening, and 
it ended up that um, sure Connell Bridge then was uh, blocked off completely and all the traffic done but mm. I was thinking oh it was a bit tense like are the police going to do something but of course they didn't like because there's questions being asked yeah, questions yeah. being asked you know the mass and all the rest of it like so it kind of you know this is you know part of the point of us having this podcast is kind of just, just to let you know as we're doing this is like also you know we think it's inevitable that there's going to be times when there's going to be confrontations between people possibly protesting or whatever in this case with people around housing but it's going to happen around the climate too at some stage potentially and it's good to be aware of how to put manners on the police you know mm. and how to make sure that keep ourselves safe and be able to do make points without um, getting the lard kicked out of you basically you know so that's kind of the practical point I think of doing this episode just put it in a little bit of context there yeah I think we mentioned we mentioned that earlier but it's good to mention it again that like like if, if you do recognise that society needs to be changed and that the state needs to act and it's not acting, you're going to have to be the one to make it happen. The guards are going to try and stop you doing that. Yeah. So it's it's important to be prepared for that reaction. Uh, like I said, you know, because of the background I'm from, I wouldn't have had much interactions with the guards until I started involving myself in political activity. Yeah. This isn't necessarily news for people who are from working class backgrounds if you're from a, an area mm-hmm. that the police harass as a matter of routine. Yeah. You know, um, like if you look at how the protesters in Jobstown for example the water protesters were handled yeah you yeah. Know? they would have been yeah they would have they wouldn't have been surprised people by like that. trying to destroy their lives and like the, the, the way they were presented in the media as, as people to be afraid of I mean the whole Joan Burton thing was such a, such a circus like I mean talk about like a lack of dignity for a person to behave that way and make such a big deal out of oh, it was mm. false imprisonment like that was another big blunder, by the way. That yeah, was a yeah. huge blunder, false imprisonment. I mean, how she was sitting in a car for an hour and a half. She was inconvenienced for a little while. I mean, yeah, come yeah. on. And all the lies that were told that were just debunked throughout the court. I mean, and the whole thing just fell apart. Like that happened a few times in Mayo too, by the way. You know, there was times when like they in court, what was it? Um, they didn't read their rights properly. They basically, well, in any case, without too much detail, whatever, they basically lied and it kind of fired by backfired on them in court they didn't follow proper procedure around when arresting people as well they just didn't bother them or dars are badly trained or just like incompetent or whatever or lazy do you know what I mean and in court backfires on them you know training is definitely a big part of it like the the I know a few years ago shortly after the recession the the amount of the training time in Templemore was cut by something like six months or something like that of course just like every, every but, other public service so called yeah. you know but also that, that heavy handed side of policing it's kind of a it kind of started when they got their guns taken off them, you know what I mean. And it's it, but it is it is a tactic at times as well. Like like the, in Mayo, plenty of times they had a no arrest policy. Like we're not going to arrest people. They used yeah. violence to do the police, and like they weren't going to make arrests. Now that's interesting because, as as far as I understand, this is more from history of people who were there from the very very beginning before the first time I went there and what have you. But they did maybe initially start arresting people, but then they couldn't. It didn't make sense for them to arrest people because where were they going to keep them? And it's in the middle of nowhere, so far away from a holding cell and all the rest of it. And for other reasons, probably too. So It wasn't just that, though. It was because it was they saw what happened when people got arrested. It gave something, yeah. people something to rally around. It rallied more people to the cause. So they deliberately stopped arresting people, especially and after the Rossport fight. They deliberately used violence instead. Yeah. yeah. Proper, like, beating people up, get them, clear them off the road kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, use batons instead of handcuffs. Um, people who are trying to protect, like, their, their houses and their loved ones and stuff. Like, literally, that's exactly what was going on, like... So, yeah, it was a mental situation to be in. Another class that was held this morning was self-defence, which is a really critical part for training. 
need to be able to protect ourselves, the community at large and our colleagues. This is a skill which is vital for our future career and prepares us for making the relevant and appropriate decisions around the use of force. My teeth are loose and my nose is busted. I have watched kids be battered. I watched women and men and old men. I've seen fucking cops batter young women in this stomach. No. Uh, do you see that? Deputies will be aware, of course, that the deployment of Garli and the any Garli operation um, is solely a matter for Garli Shia Khan. Excuse me, I was only asking what's the story. What's the story here? I got pepped by your name. Look, I told you the man who drove me the legal requirement of you to do some driving license. You didn't give it to me. I was going to. I couldn't even hear you. I told you the motor was broken. Please don't, please don't pepper spray me. I don't want that. Remove yourself from the vehicle. Right. Look, 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 look. Give me the warning. Get out of that car now. I'm getting out of the vehicle now. I'm getting out of the vehicle now. I'm going to arrest you. Until I establish who your identity is, you're coming to the car station. Now. That's fine. I'll go with you. Why did you do that? Why did you spray me? So that that tactic of um that we're talking about of the guards deliberately using violence. Yeah. Um, as though. As though it's a riot situation, going into a non-riot situation as though it's a riot situation. Uh, they've done that loads of times, it wasn't just in Mayo, um, that's where we had direct experience of it, but um, although it would have been even worse before I got involved in the campaign, before like when I was still kind of a teenager. But uh, so yeah, I've read accounts and seen footage of the the Reclaim the Streets uh, party, street party in 2002. Reclaim yeah. the Streets was like, the notion is that, okay, the city is too dominated by cars, and by business, so let's take over a street for a day and it's have a party. It's not enough of a public space. It's Everything is commercialised and all the rest. Exactly, of it. So yeah. There is no public space. So let's create a public space, sort of like a temporary thing would last like a couple of hours in a day or whatever. But yeah, it, was, it was a party, but it was also a political statement and, and also sort of a creative political statement and protest, if you it was, like. Yeah, it was a direct a protest against the, against the, just a bit, na- the bit boring, banal greyness of... A business-oriented city centre. Yeah. Um. So, but it was a party that we need to drive it home. It was people dancing. There was like music and people dancing in the streets, and that was react. That was dealt with by the cops by batons, batons to the head. Just went straight in. Yeah. Started kicking the shit out of people. Subversive parties. I read a, a story the other day of a fellow who 
he was um, he had been battened repeatedly by the guards. He was lying on the floor with blood coming from his head. There was a guard nearby directing traffic, and after his his girlfriend called an ambulance, and the guard redirected the ambulance away from the area. Wouldn't let the ambulance stop to pick your man up. <laughs> And uh, of course, they said that this fella he, he later got a claim from the cops, but they said that he was drunk and you know throwing cans and stuff, which t- wasn't true. You know, they just he was just one of the many people that day who got their skull cracked open for dancing in the street. Do what you think you'll get away with. They obviously thought all these times they'd get away with it, you know. And I yeah. suppose they did essentially, like although but, not completely, because we are talking about it, aren't we? And yeah. it did actually gain some... Tra- it was it was controversial. Like I've ever been on like the Late Late Show and that kind of thing, you oh, know? Yeah. Like an, an ex-guard defending himself. I mean, a guy who was retired, like saying, oh, I can under- you know, sympathise with the guards because he was a guard. But anyhow. So they have a pretty storied history of like not keeping their cool under pressure. So the, there's also the example of the... Or, but was that not the, intentionally decided? Like someone told... Like that was a decision that this needs to be contained or whatever. And it's both. It's a top. It's a top-down decision to be use violence to contain the situation rather than arresting people but it's also just the the an untrained person scared with power and a weapon yeah being thrown into this melee you know what in, I mean? t- in the middle of tension and all the rest yeah because yeah. there's that there's that video online of the anti i think it's an anti-water or an anti-household tax or just a general anti-austerity protest down in gory and totally unprovoked this uh, the guard turns around and battens the cell fella straight in the head. And if you watch the video, yeah. there's a ten minute video leading up to it, where um, I mean there is like the, the 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 crowd are fairly like lively and rowdy and they're chanting and stuff like that in this hotel in the looks like a hotel lobby or something. Uh, and the guards try to arrest someone, and he was de-arrested. So the crowd grabbed him back and surrounded him and protected yeah. him from being arrested. Pull him away from the guards. But at no point were the were the guards actually under any threat. There, you can see when when this incident itself happens. The, the guard has a circle of people around him. They're keeping their distance from him. They're not anywhere near him. And then he just turns around, pulls out his telescopic baton. So it's like a retractable baton, basically. Yeah. Steel thing. Pulls it out, turns around, and just indiscriminately starts whacking at the crowd and just happens to get this owl fella across the head, knocks him to the floor, you know. And you can see you can see the moment where he loses his temper. Yeah. Where he goes, because he's like pissed off that he didn't get to arrest someone. That his his power was taken away from him by the crowd. Oh, the ego was ridiculous. But he was under no harm. No harm had come to him personally. He yeah. wasn't under any threat. I've definitely seen that kind of thing, you know, in Rossport before. Oh, did, yeah. I've seen it in Dublin a few times, even on, on water charges protests mm. once or twice. Like once at a guard in my face and he'd live it at the mouth. Mm. And as well at the I remember was it a year year a year or two years ago there was the anti huge anti Pegida demo in town. Pegida tried to hold a meeting and like a dozen people showed up, but. There was thousands of people there to oppose them. There was a yeah. There was a huge cop reaction. It's quite a good to day, that. actually. It was. It was. It was good. Um, now the cops reacted to that again with violence, but they they're just so happy with the batons they they wound up cracking the head of a RTE cameraman and stuff like that. Do you <laughs> know what I mean? They were just like, and actually, I was doing. I was a legal observer on the day, and a friend, another friend of mine who was a legal observer, also got a baton to the arm. He's standing there with a high vis on him, like what's yeah, back yeah, from yeah. the crowd taking notes, and the guard just ran over and smacked him with the baton because yeah. it's just like, oh, I'm allowed to do this, so I'm going to. Hit as many people as I can for the crack. Yeah, you know it's, that's real. I don't know. I mean, I think also if you're a legal observer, you're you know you're kind of you shouldn't be kind of. They probably don't give a crap. You know what I mean? Like the cops. They oh, just, that means nothing to them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you know you're nothing yeah. to them. Like, but it just goes to show though it doesn't. It's it, it's it's kind of just once they have that power. Yeah, it, it doesn't matter who gets in their way. And they, in Germany, they call them die Bulle, the bulls. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a reason for that, folks. Yeah. But it can it can have really really fucking tragic consequences as well. This this culture of um, 
of just not being allowed to question the Gardaí because they're just pillar of society, right? Yeah, when you, like, said, when you said the moral authority thing, I just thought of all the stories of like, I'm a guard, I get a paper for free and all yeah. this fucking crap, like, you know. Yeah, oh. they really can get away with whatever they want. Like you're saying like the priests and all that, like they just have this power, you know, it's just yeah. a bit of power to them, you know. Yeah, in a way it's, it's even more because, I mean, that it took a long time for the church's power to become challenged and destabilised and it's still not totally gone like but I could see that being even more difficult with the police because I don't know they just they're, 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 they're not quite the same institution are they no they're different they're, they, they, they serve different practical purposes that the church didn't serve you know they're not they're not just serving a spiritual purpose yeah they have lots of practical day to day things to do but well, yeah absolutely what I was going to talk about there though was the so why we're talking about the, the, the how it's impossible to question guard of power and, and the the, the veracity the truth of whatever it is Gary say like their their word is law kind of thing uh, if you They're remember the case for of granted being correct in whatever they say even when it's obviously like a conflict of interest and they've done something terrible like as you're about to say even if it doesn't matter if, no matter how little their story matches to reality if you remember the case of Terence Wheelock yeah a very, very, tw- very 20, 20 year old man from uh, the Dublin city centre who um, I think he had been he'd had trouble with the law before but he was arrested on this occasion for something that he didn't do. The people it was to do with the theft of a car. Um the people who stole it who admitted to stealing it said that he had nothing to do with it, right? But he was arrested anyway in the middle of the day. Um later on that day he was taken from his cell to the hospital where he had been severely beaten. He was in a coma for three months and then he died. And uh, the guardie claimed that he hung himself, despite the fact that his body was covered in bruises and there was absolutely no evidence that he hung himself. The guard, he claimed that. And that stood up in the court, in the coroner's court, because each guard said the same thing. And the guard said, it's guarded testimony, it's unquestionable. And there was loads of evidence that wasn't allowed to be used in the court. Loads, like, loads of independent uh, coroner's reports, independent medical reports, independent post-mortems, in other words, on the on this young fella's body. Um, again, came out of the place covered in bruises. Um, yeah, how did that happen by hanging yourself? It's yeah, like, it doesn't make any fucking sense. And here's the, this, I thought this was really sinister. Two days after he was taken from the cell to hospital, there was renovation work done on the cell. Yeah. What? Like, <laughs> what are the chances of that, folks? Like, you know, what are the chances of that? When was that booked in, yeah? Just like two hours after he, he was dead, probably, I'd say. Yeah. Uh, and of course, they, but here's the thing, they do get away with it. They did. They do get away with it. They were, they were, there, there was no wrongdoing found in that. The jury decided that he did hang himself. Yeah. Because that's what the guard he said he did. Um, and that's that's where it gets really tragic and sinister. It's like... I do, sh- sh- around the same time as the, the Take Back the City eviction happened on Frederick Street, around the same time, two different reports on uh, policing in Ireland came out. Um, one by the Irish Council for Civil Liberties and one by the Irish or the Senate what are they called so they have some long winded name like the Commission for the Future of Policing in Ireland they're a state body anyway I think that's the name of it yeah yeah, yeah they're, um, they're there's some people from like human rights NGOs on the board but they're like there's also a lot of cops and it's just yeah, yeah. I'd have a little bit of it's a mild yeah. reformers little kind of yeah. committee probably a little bit of fluff there but yeah. you know now the Irish Council for Civil Liberties one, that one had a bit more kind of grit in it. But even that one was like, I just, I just, what I've, I'm struggling to see. Haven't I, I skimmed through the ICCL report and it's a lot about how we need to bring human rights into the police force and let, orientate policing around that. 
I just don't see how you can reform an organisation that has the track record that the Gardaí have. They came from the colonial police force. They're a direct continuation of that tradition. Yeah. And if you look at how they've acted over the years, like, they're, like, going back to, to how they formed, right? So when Ono Duffy changed their name to the Gardaí their principal duty then was to destabilise and fight the anti-treaty IRA. And then a few years yeah. later, when De Valera got into power, he was anti-treaty. So this is when the Republic was formed. They stopped hassling the anti-treaty lads, obviously, because they were now the main lads, and started hassling the IRA members who weren't happy about partition. So in each case, they're being used to police you their... accepted partition, yeah. Yeah, who are still like, oh, hang on, this isn't a complete country. There's six counties up the north that are still in the UK. We can't settle for that. So the guards switched to fighting their former comrades. And that seemed to be the kind of, their modus operandi for the first few decades really was just like the RUC up north, they were policing republicanism. Absolutely, yeah. There's a, there's a mirror, there's a, there's a mirror um, effect going on there where they were both, Republicans were, you know, on both sides of the border were, were, were gone after, you know. Yeah. Not that I'm a Republican, but it's just worth noticing, you know. Yeah, well, it's, 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 it's definitely worth talking about because even like, as was the case with Chelsea and the Rossport protests, um, if the police want to justify using violence against a, a grassroots movement, against the protest movement, all they have to do is get their buddies in the mainstream media to go, they're provost. There's IRA links, Sinn Féin are involved, the Republicans are involved, and now it's all well. Yeah. I remember actually, I do remember in 2006, 2007, uh, then Minister for Justice, uh, Michael McDool, and uh, he said, um, he's talking about Chelsea and in RT again, in an interview goes, uh, you know, and the cam- Chelsea, you know, they're Provo tactics, he says. Oh, yeah, yeah. They're Provo tactics. Apparently, right, standing out in front of trucks and not allowing them to pass on the road is a Provo tactic, you know, because that's when all the, the, you know, massacres happened of people for the crime of being Protestant was done. They did that by standing out in the middle of the road. Yeah, that's exactly what happened in Mayo, like, yeah. as opposed to being shot, you know what I mean, or blown up by a bomb, like. What a ridiculous thing to say, like. No, it's total nonsense. But um that's 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 what the Guardi started out, started off doing. It's they've always been a political police force, basically, is what I'm trying to say. They've all, they've always been there to to to, to protect I think that, their that's political allies. True, and we're saying this in Irish context, we're, we're given with the context that we know, but it, it applies to other countries too, of course. It's the same sure thing. You see the same thing with political policing of any kind of a protest about anything that's important and all the rest of it, like all the parallels are all there. So it's, you're the strong arm of the state. You're going to force through what the state wants. And when it comes to politics, it's going to be, that's when it's going to be the strongest, you know, mm. anything that you're going against official state policy, you know. Oof. But we go with the example that we know well and we do know this well enough to be able to tell you, folks. But what, um, what, what, like... How do you go about reforming a force like that? Because as like I said, they always have each other's back. And look at the Garda Ombudsman Commission. Yeah. The the Garda Shikana Ombudsman Commission. It's been established for a little bit more than 10 years now. And yeah. it's had thousands upon thousands of complaints. A lot of them from Mayo, but a lot of them from every from elsewhere as well. And Rarely do you see anything concrete being done about from it. it. Yeah, they don't do anything. They're, they're it's, not able. It's, a, it's essentially a failure, isn't it? Yeah. The idea of the Ombudsman was that for the first time, there was an independent body that the guards were not being investigated by guards, other guards and what have you. Mm. So it's outside of the guard of Shia Khan. But in a, in a practice, it has not been in, it hasn't, 
acted and behaved independently. It hasn't, no. You a, know? a lot of complaints that so, come to them are still sent on to the guards to be investigated if they're not deemed important enough, you know? Exactly, yeah. So that has to be considered. I mean, that's, you know... But it's interesting to say about how you reform. Do you remember recently we were at the uh, the Anarchist Book Fair and we saw Hilary Darcy was talking about, in, in the talk which she was involved, it was all about policing, um, and she talked about reformers' reforms and non-reformers' reforms, you know? I find that a bit confusing, but yeah. Yeah, well, I guess it was a kind of a way of saying, like, there are certain kind of... I think certain reforms can have, you know, short, short-term benefits, but, yeah, how useful they are is debatable as well. I mean overall you know when, when you look at the, the greater picture in that it does become an interesting question because then in, in a in a sense if you you know what do you do and like see this is the thing the guards don't really in my opinion um in my experience the things that we were told growing up that the guards are for your house was robbed or someone got killed okay someone got killed maybe do you know or mm-hmm. car got stolen or whatever do you know what i mean they don't put much resources into that kind of thing or you or or someone was assaulted and you went and you reported it and like you know hours later as you say one guard shows up ridiculous stuff like that compare that against like taken out of an occupation a political op- occupation of a building and you have a whole team of guards and if there's armed guards at eviction that kind of thing it doesn't stack up does it but it's it's interesting i mean it's a conversation worth opening up i mean how is what's the best way to protect people do you mm-hmm. know in a maybe more looking at it more from a sort of a community perspective or something to that effect, you know how to yeah, yeah. how to keep people safe. But that's a conversation that needs to be opened up. So we need to talk like and it, yeah, we need to start figuring that kind of stuff out because it's still it's always an election issue. You see it in all the pamphlets, pamphlets. You see it in all the pamphlets that come through the doors when it's election time, whether it's a TD pamphlets. or a local councillor. They all well, nearly all of them say we'll have more guards in the streets. Yeah. Because that's what people want. Keeping people, people are, safe. People are afraid. That's a PSNI actual uh, thing. Keeping people safe. It's a bit yeah. of PR, you know, over the the Northern Police. Um, but PSNI. yeah, uh, you know, absolutely. But uh, it's all you know. You got your your election time. But the reason that's there rhetoric. is because that's what people want. People yeah. want to feel safer, and they associate safety with the guards. And we need to decouple that. I think because it's like to start wrapping things up now. I suppose we need to start asking ourselves, all of us. I mean, every single one of us needs to start asking ourselves and each other what kind of society do we want to live in and what kind of world do we want to have for ourselves in a decade's time because like if you look at the way the world is going like look at your man in Brazil uh, Jair Bolsonaro was elected he's very far right he's basically Brazilian Hitler things are really bad folks things are shocking yeah. So you look at him and you've got Trump over in America. And Sorry, Brazilian Trump maybe is a better term, actually. I mean, he's, he's worse. He seems like he's going to be worse because Trump's an idiot. Do you know what I mean? He's just a businessman who knows how to talk. This guy is a politician who seems to know how to do what he wants to do. He's ex-military, ex-army captain or something. Yeah. So He's that's ex-military not career politician. Thinks he's, the military dictatorship was great. Says he's pro-torture. Says um, said that uh, uh, Pinochet should have killed more people. He says that he, he he openly says not in codified language. He says literally he is going to remove protections around indigenous land. He's going to take land off indigenous people, and yeah, if they don't assimilate, yeah. they can die. As far as he's concerned, he said it in like I'm not dressing up his words in any way. That he said these things literally. <sighs> um, Depressing. And my point is, I know that's not here, but what did happen here recently is a man. Uh, called Peter Casey, he was running in the presidential election. His support surged from two yeah. percent to over twenty percent by talking shit about travellers. By talking shit about travellers, yeah. And that that to me tells us something really frightening about the way the world is turning now. Is that the way I would look at it is we're heading into a scenario 
that's kind of out of our control or feels like it's out of our control, climate change, right? We're heading into an unstable and scary world or the world is becoming more unstable and more scary around us. And people, I think, are looking to strong men. Yes. Strong men who look like they know what they're talking about, who who will say things really in a really self-assured way and go, I'm going to deal with this. They're not dealing with any of the problems, but they're, go- they're scapegoating people. But they're people who are like, you, we want you to lead us out of this. They're, we're afraid, so we want you to go to be the, the the determined and the self-assured one and go, we'll deal with these problematic people and I'll make the world safe. Yeah. Making the privileged people feel safe. That's Making the Making lots of, the of promises to get that done. Safety, crime especially, like there's a huge amount of crime in Brazil, you know what I mean? So like he comes from that exact perspective of we're going we're gonna to kill all the you know, criminals and stuff. I mean, Duterte in the uh, Philippines just started killing people who've been selling drugs, just, just killing them. Mm. Literally, to forget about courts and all the rest of it, just, and, and saying openly, I'm going to kill them. People are selling drugs, I'm going to kill them. End of, like, simple as that. Like. And there's so many innocent people getting caught in the crossfire there. Yeah. But, the, they, but, like, why should someone be killed for selling drugs? The whole thing is, drugs yeah. shouldn't be illegal in the first place. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like, it's... But that's, uh, that's, that's, that's another symptom of it, is that with all these people, these kind of tyrannical Pro-police, all powerful people is that it's it's never about addressing the problem at root cause it's always about dealing with the end result of the problem I mean crime exists because yeah. of they claim to be inequality. dealing with the problems but yeah they're not dealing with anything mm. and that is clear yeah so like that's why we need to start asking these questions of each other now what kind of society Before do we want do we want to be led do we want to be led into an unstable and climactically turbulent world by people who lack empathy and who lack imagination and who who are willing to scapegoat like different ethnicities and people who are already vulnerable and like just yeah I don't know like is that is that really what we want are we that afraid of our own capacities that you- we have to turn to those kinds of people to, to lead us out of it you got to have the conversations around it because otherwise you leave people with the only option of taking the simplistic approach the, the strong men the pro-military th- that type of the, the pro-dictator ones are the ones that are given simplified one-dimensional answers to these problems so we need to have these conversations as you said in general about many things and the world you know the world, but more the world we want to see in general but then also t- certain pressing issues of the moment mm. and ways in which we can deal with those and, you know, clever ways and creative ways and stuff. And not just a strong man is going to put all the criminals in jail or kill all the criminals. Just like, it doesn't even make... What does is, what is that resolve like? Do you know what I mean? So, um, but I have faith, folks. We can do it. And we can confront all of these forces, including the state and the police. And we'll keep the police in check. And we will make sure... So here's, here's one of the things I wanted to say as well. With the police, keep the spotlight on them and don't let them think they can get away with stuff. And, you know... That's very important, especially because recently they were talking about trying to make it uh, illegal to film them. Yeah, no, screw that. That's that's a total political thing, too. That's a reaction to the fact, as we were saying earlier, that they have been this unquestioned pillar of society for so long. It's it's relatively recently that, 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 as you said, we know people from certain communities would be well used to mistrusting the police but the, it becoming a conversation that we're having as, a, as an entire society that's ha- it's happening in the media this conversation it's happening oh, yeah. all around the country people are asking they're asking questions about the guards 
there are alternative folks that's so, the point so and that, that but that whole camera thing that making it illegal to film them that's a direct reaction to people talking about them oh yeah and questioning their authority of course and mistakes so that they've made we need to keep that up keep questioning it um, because it is questionable do you oh, know yeah. what I mean like why do they exist what's their real purpose versus state purpose as I said a few times <laughs> yeah. why do they exist who are they there to protect really 